This is Jamie from Washington, and I would never listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, let's get into this. Episode 207 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dollamore. And sitting directly across from me, the lovely and talented, do not forget talented, co-host of mine, the woman who apparently is going to have a little bit trouble talking because of the dreaded stress induced canker sore Brittany page yeah i mean i'm not sure if everyone needed to know <laughs> that but a minute in and i'm just getting to who you are i mean i do have a very severe severe canker sore no it's not severe but it's in a very <laughs> inconvenient place where every time i speak it rubs on one of my teeth so that's pretty unfortunate for me. Right. And stress-induced <laughs> mm-hmm. because you are not as far along in your thesis as you would like and not quite as motivated either. I am not motivated at all. As you'd like. Something and this is, is causing stress inside you. Yeah, I think next week is week 10 of 16. So it's it's getting to the end of the semester and I'm just <laughs> I'm just not in the mood, guys. Well, it's not that you haven't started it. It's just you there are edits and tweaks that you need to make and you're Right. I'm I'm on my third draft. Motivation-wise, you're not up to the task. Well, I'm on my third draft of my thesis proposal. Oh, this is just a proposal, right? And right, right. my advisor sent it back last time with 44 comments <laughs> uh, on the Word doc, so that was a lot to go through. And I'm over halfway through them, so I, wow. I'm, I'm getting closer to completion. But it's very difficult to. Uh, maintain motivation. So, so once I get past this point and, and get my proposal approved, I can propose and then start collecting my data. So pretty exciting. I can see I, your mouth is covered by the microphone, mm-hmm. but I can see that you're not moving your mouth in a normal way. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> so my voice probably sounds different. It's almost like you're the reverse of Vito Corleone, who has like the cotton in his lips at the bottom, <laughs> but it's on the top. Uh huh. It looks like you've got like a chow backy, <laughs> chow backy. Oh, I in hope the, this goes away soon. In the lip, because I can't live like this. <laughs> I cannot live like this. I I need to be in a, a smile the whole time because <laughs> then it doesn't rub against my teeth, but. I'm not used to smiling, period, so I can't stay in a smile very long. All right. That's a joke. (laughs) And a good one at that. Really good. All right. Before we move on, I want to talk about something. Yeah, you do. What is going on? with? Listen, I just want to remind the audience. It is 2016, April. Yeah, we're nearing the middle of the year of 2016 
And there are still commercials being played on television about a company called California Psychics. Here's one that I witnessed with my own goddamn eyes just the other day. I'm very conflicted and, yeah, skeptical. Talking to a psychic over the phone is a bit impersonal. They can't be for real, can they? We let these skeptics try California psychics, and here's what they had to say. You know, it was probably the best psychic reading I've ever had. Gosh, I got everything I can imagine from my reading. She's telling me all this stuff, and I'm like, how can you possibly know that? Call now to speak to a psychic for a dollar per minute, and if it's not the best psychic reading you've ever experienced, it's free. I wasn't sure about the relationship that I'm in, but... Now I know he's the right one. It was specific <laughs> to me. I mean, she picked up on so many things that there's no way she could have picked up on. I've always had a passion for fitness, and she saw me own in my own yoga studio. Speak to a psychic for a dollar per minute. Readings are secure and confidential. If it's not the best psychic reading you've ever experienced, it's free. She had names. She had so much detail. She really just reassured me that I'm on the right path. I've never had a phone call make me so excited for the future. California Psychics. The best or it's free. Call today. <laughs> so um, my favorite part of this is when they said, you know, we gave all these uh, skeptics an opportunity to have a reading. And here's what the skeptics had to say. Right. And then the first thing is, it's the best psychic reading I've ever had. How many psychics is this skeptic, this quote unquote skeptic going to? Right. You know, psychics cost money. <laughs> So this skeptic is just taking it upon themselves to go to so many psychics. I think they're loosely using the word skeptic, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, because I would love for them to give me an opportunity to have a reading. Well, I've you, never had one. Well, I haven't either had an actual psychic reading, but growing up in the church, all the time in the nutty, nutter butter nuttiness <laughs> that I grew up in in church, they would have prophets come, these women and or these men, and they would prophesy over us as kids, as goddamn kids, telling us all kinds of stuff that they saw that they were, I was going to be able to, I, I was going to be leading, you know, just legions of people to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Oh, so it has nothing to do with your life. It's how many people you're going well, to bring. Well, kind of. Well, not only that, but just telling you about your talents and your gifts. And hmm. it just it's, it's insane. So anyway, this isn't the only one. There's one more commercial. This one's a little bit more uh, dark, a little bit more ominous. I woke up at night wondering and yeah, it is. worrying what to do. <laughs> it was so stressful. Oh I just God. didn't have the answers. I felt stuck. What am I going to do? I remembered seeing a California Psychics commercial, and I decided to call. Our gifted psychics have helped millions of people. We're so sure we can help you. We guarantee that if it's not the best reading you've ever had, it's free. And if you call right now, it's just $1 a minute. When Mary called, I sensed her suffering and stress. <laughs> and as we talked, I felt like she really knew me. She gave me advice and answers, and I finally felt unstuck. If it's not the best reading you've ever had, it's free. And if you call right now, it's just $1 a minute. I used my psychic's advice, and things are definitely looking up. California Psychics, the nation's premier psychic network. It's just $1 a minute. So call now. It's just $1 a minute, Brittany Page. That's pretty expensive. Only a dollar a minute to talk to someone with zero, zero 
extrasensory perception. I wonder what they're paying. Because I, I, I'd love a job sitting and talking to people on the phone. Well, I think they say they only hire like two out of every number right. of people because, well, not everybody can do the job. So, you know, well, they've there's only able... a certain amount of psychics well, in the world. <laughs> I was going to go the other way, that they've got to be able to be, you know, pretty, pretty skilled at cold, cold reading and di- these different techniques that you need to be able to do. Cold selling. Yeah, that, that that too. They probably need people with sales experience. Absolutely, because mm-hmm. they have to sell it that mm-hmm. they're not a complete charlatan. These are just like junior Joel Austins in training. Ugh. They teach you to say the general things that can apply to most people. Right. I would love to sit in on one of their corporate meetings, one of their training seminars for new employees. Well, that's why I'd love to call because, you know, my life is pretty unusual and so i'd like them to try to peg some of the stuff about me (laughs) guaranteed not gonna go well (laughs) right 2016 Mm -hmm. britney page Mm -hmm. 2016 yeah all right let's do a little follow-up in past episodes we've talked about these religious liberty bills and quote-unquote religious right right riffra's uh, the Religious Freedom Restoration Acts, as though the freedom of religion is under attack in this country. We talked last episode, in fact, about uh, Georgia's governor, who, under the pressure from different companies, decided to veto the bill that was before him, the Religious Liberty Bill. Well, it looks as though North Carolina is calling the bluff of these companies. The governor of North Carolina met with gay rights activists on Thursday. The activists urged Governor Pat McCrory to repeal the nation's first state law limiting bathroom options for transgender people. The law also excludes lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people from anti-discrimination protections and blocks municipalities from adopting their own anti-discrimination and living wage rules. The reaction so far to North Carolina's law is hard to measure. However, big business is already responding to the law. The entertainment company Lionsgate recently canceled eight days of shooting in North Carolina. They made the decision the day after the governor signed the bill into law. According to a production coordinator with Lionsgate, they have chosen to film in Canada instead. That is big news. Those companies spend a lot of money, and through permitting and everything else, the state actually makes money that way too. But eight days of shooting is probably hundreds of people. It's not just a couple of dudes with a camera and a guy directing them. It's a lot of economic power mm-hmm. that they're missing out on. That's not only leaving the, the, the state, it's leaving the country. Mm-hmm. That's problematic. Right. Well, Lionsgate's not the only company. Apparently, almost 100 companies have signed on to a letter that has been sent from the Human Rights Com- Co- Commission. Is it the Human Rights Commission? Campaign. Human Rights Campaign. I always know it as HRC. Because I constantly get their emails wanting them wanting me to give them money. Almost 100 companies have signed a letter from them to the state of North Carolina. 
discrimination is wrong and we believe it has no place in North Carolina or anywhere in our country, the letter says. As companies that pride ourselves on being inclusive and welcoming to all, we strongly urge you and the leadership of North Carolina's legislature to repeal this law in the upcoming legislative session. The letter is signed by many companies. The biggest names include Apple, Facebook, Airbnb, Yahoo, Twitter, Salesforce, Marriott, Pfizer, and uh, Levi Strauss. Now, this might not sound like that big a deal that a lot of tech companies are signing on to this, but North Carolina isn't just a, a, a magnet for, for you know, hill people and country folk. There is a lot of technology in the Raleigh-Durham, Wake Forest, that area of North Carolina, and even Charlotte for that matter. There's a lot of tech that goes on because the, the, the cost of living is low for these companies to move there. The tax base is low. There's a lot of advantages to moving into a state like North Carolina. And for these companies to start threatening and for companies to actually pull the trigger and not do business there, that's a big deal. Well, Bank of America also added their name to the list, and then American Airlines, Uber. So there's other companies that are coming on board and right. adding. Yeah, it's, it's big news. We, we will keep following this and see. But I would, I would venture to say that this, well, obviously it's going to go away, even if it's through some kind of a, a Supreme Court decision. But I think the state itself will take care of this again, like I said last time, due to the capitalist response of these particular companies. All right. Let's do this a little early, Brittany. Let's get to a little pew research. There's an article that they just posted on their website that is, this presidential campaign is exposing fissures over issues, values, and, oh, how life has changed. Yeah, so one of the questions they asked is, compared with 50 years ago, life for people like you in America is worse, better, or the same. Right. And they broke this down by Republican Democrats and then also by candidates. And Republicans, shockingly, say... <laughs> Do I sense sarcasm there? <laughs> um, no, I was shocked by this. So 60, oh, okay. 66% of Republicans and leaning Republicans say that life for people like them is worse oh, today. I, that is the response I expected. Uh, yeah, I'm still shocked. By these that. are the people who hearken back to a time like Bill O'Reilly always talks about how wonderful it was in the fucking 50s. When a, 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 a man could raise his hand to his wife and nothing would be done. When, he says that? Well, no, but think about the 50s. What good was in the 50s where blacks and whites were separated by law, where blacks couldn't use the same drinking fountain? These are the times that they hearken back to with fondness. So what specifically do they say is good about these times? Well, that the <laughs> divorce rates were low and we didn't have them damn queers there's all kinds of all the things that people were repressed, completely oppressed and repressed. That's a that's a that's a a byproduct of that kind of a society. So as the freedom increases, the people that are supposed to love more freedom and liberty are getting upset. In my estimation, yes. Okay. Um Democrats and leaning Democrats say that life is better. Forty eight percent say that life is better for people like them. 
And then they broke it down by presidential candidate. So would you like to guess um, which voter has respondents saying that compared with 50 years ago, life for people like them in America is worse? Donald Trump voters absolutely without question think that things are way worse now. Yes, by a whopping 75%. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And God then damn. Cruz is second, 63% say worse. Right. And Kasich, 54% say worse. Hmm. Yeah. And then Sanders, 34% say worse for people like you in America compared to 50 years ago. And Hillary Clinton actually had the smallest percentage of really? people saying that it's worse with 22%. Huh. Yeah. She also had the biggest percentage of people saying life is better. There is something to be explored there. That's interesting. But Bernie Sanders, that you would think his people would be more positive, but maybe they're so down on the fact that, you know, college isn't free and that big, there's corporations donating to campaigns and maybe they're a little bit more pessimistic based on those, those facts. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So they also did a, how the voters view major 2016 issues. So they broke this down by candidate and there's different subjects. So we'll start with uh, immigrants today are a burden on our country. Now, the level of agreement with this depends on who your candidate is. Yeah, I don't think we need to do any guessing. <laughs> there's no guessing game to be done here. Clearly, Donald Trump supporters are A-OK with immigrants. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not so much. Not so much. Uh, 69% um, agreed with that statement. Right. Trump supporters. How many? 60? 69. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought you said 63, and I was like, oh, that's kind of low. Even 69, I would expect it to be a little higher because they are, you know, that xenophobic group. So the other ones are kind of, you know, easy to guess, like you said. So I want to move on to this. How voters see the candidates as potential presidents. This is the percent of registered voters who say each candidate would make a blank president. Great, good, average, poor, terrible. And this should make everybody feel better because Donald Trump, 44% of registered voters said that he would make a terrible president. Yeah. And would you like to guess who got second for a terrible president? Hillary Clinton. Yep. Huh. That is who got. Do you want to guess who's third? Third for terrible? Yeah. Um, of current candidates. Yes. Ted Cruz. Bernie Sanders. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ted Cruz is fourth. And John Kasich is last. Yes. Only 7% said that's, he would be terrible. That's got it. Oh, it's, well, it's who would be terrible. Yes. And yeah. he, he got the highest for who would be average. Uh, so, you know, he's just average. Falls right. right in there in the middle. Right, right, right. All right. Well, let's let's move on from this to the LA Times. It was in an op-ed. Yes. An op-ed by Robert Sapolsky. And it talks about the electorate and that we're rarely rational when we vote. Well, because, well, we're rarely rational anytime. So why would we somehow break free from our irrationality when we go choose a candidate? Right. And the author is a professor of neuroscience at Stanford University. So he has a little bit to add uh, when it comes to science. Yeah. So he opens his op-ed saying, science can tell us a lot about how voters will make their decisions in 2016. To appreciate those findings, first, free yourself of the idea that humans are rational beings. <laughs> can we do that? 
Um, I wish we could, but then again, at the top of the show, we played two different television commercials for California psychics. So, no. People are not rational. So he goes on to talk about the ways that human decision-making can be influenced. He says, human decision-making is subject to implicit influences in other realms as well. In one study involving thousands of cases of parole board decisions, a highly significant predictor of whether an inmate was granted parole was how long it had been since the judge had eaten. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. So next time you're getting ready to be sentenced, be like, wait a minute. Did you have lunch? Yeah, just send him in some McDonald's or Taco Bell (laughs) at the very least. Yeah. (laughs) Other research, he goes on to say, shows our sensitivity to all sorts of unconscious cues. People think potato chips taste better if they hear crunching sounds in the background as they eat. Rate A beverage is tasting better if it's served in a more expensive looking surrounding. And people say their favorite detergent is Thai. Uh, if they've just read a paragraph containing the word ocean and then they'll give you like a very reasonable reason why it's the best right one, right which... i've heard some of that before and some of that's interesting but the problem is is that we bring that into the voting booth with us those same irrationalities wow Right. So he says, which brings us to how people go about voting for a political candidate. It's a rare voter who carefully reads a candidate's position on every topic. Instead, we typically vote based on a candidate's stance on a subset of topics, assuming there will be a certain consistency on all other topics. Or we follow party lines or we choose based on endorsements. If this person agrees with them, then I'm going to agree with them, blah, blah, blah. Right, right. Another conscious component of political decision making is voting for experience or competence rather than a platform. This is so common, he says, that one study found that candidates judged to look more competent had won elections 68% of the time. Competence at least seems like a pretty rational criterion. After all, who wouldn't want competence in our leaders until you wind up voting for someone who competently implements things you oppose, he says. That's interesting. However, I would disagree. My my alignment with him on this would diverge where, for instance, if you voted for Obama on his platform that he was going to close Guantanamo and here we are seven years in. And Guantanamo is still open. It's still operating. You would have been wrong because politicians, that is making, he's making the assumption that all politicians stick to what they say, that they're not all filthy liars who will say whatever it takes to get elected. You know what I mean? Well, he references research that does depend on the way that politicians speak as well. So in one study, they examined campaign speeches of candidates in every prime minister election in Australian history. 80% of those elections, the winner was the politician who used more collective pronouns, we and us. Like Bernie Sanders does. Yes. So then those then those studies are showing that raising the levels of the hormone oxytocin in people's brains makes them more likely to perceive hypothetical candidates as believable and trustworthy, elevate testosterone levels, and the opposite occurs. Right. But there was one interesting part of this article that he talked about, which was a paper that was published in Science, and 
they showed kids pairs of faces of candidates from various obscure elections. And they told the kids, okay, you're about to take a long journey by boat. And we're talking about like five-year-old children, kids who aren't aware of the faces they're going to see. They were five through 13, age five through 13. Okay. And they said, okay, you're getting ready to take a long journey by boat. Which of these two people would you want as your captain? Right. So they're like putting it in kid terms. Yeah. And the kids, again, aged five through 13, picked the winning candidates 71% of the time. That is amazing to me. Yeah. So looking at these pairs of faces, they were able to pick out a leader, basically. So that that would go to some hypothesis that that kind of logic or judgment is runs through even the, the general electorate, that there's something there with how they look right so our automatic biases you know for attractiveness for whether or not someone looks confident for the words that they're using that are activating oxytocin like whether they eat a booger during a debate oh on live television yikes ted cruz and also (laughs) but so he ends it by saying orange the hue of their skin is how wild their comb over is to cover what What's going on under there? Who knows? Yeah. So he ends he ends his article with some advice. Try to remember all this as you cast your ballot this year. You may be falling for the crunching sounds in the background. <laughs> so pretty good. Don't just pick your candidate based on the collective pronouns or the stellar jawline. Does anyone have a stellar jawline this time? Um, no. There's not a lot of <laughs> handsomeness. In this particular campaign. Yikes. (laughs) All right. Let's move on. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dolomore. All right. Well, we'd like to take this time to send personal, individual thanks to our two latest Patreon family members, Alexander and Victoria. Let me tell you, I think that our Patreon people... They got some fancy-ass names. Mm-hmm. They Ale- really do. Or should have I said it with Alexander and Victoria? <laughs> that was uh, terrible. No, that was amazing. <laughs> As we all know, I can only do the Harry Potter names or else I would try. <laughs> and yeah, thank you to Alexander and Victoria. Awesome. It, it really is. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. We appreciate you helping us move the conversation forward episode by episode. Rest assured that we appreciate you very, very much. All right. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. All right. Well, Donald Trump, much to the audience's delight, I would suspect, will only be a very small portion of this Dollamocracy segment. He was relatively quiet this week, and I think it's because of all of his many missteps 
He did appear on a couple of news shows, and in one, he is on with Chris Wallace from Fox News. And they are discussing the bad week that he had, and he is discussing the Heidi Cruz tweets, or retweets, and in his own very strange Donald Trump way, he expresses regret for having sent it. You talk about the fact that you've only been a politician for eight months, but there are other issues that you've gotten in trouble on in the last week or so that have more to do with just judgment and temperament. For instance, the fact that you spent days going after Ted Cruz's wife and her looks. Excuse compared... me, excuse me. Wait, wait, let Ted me just, Cruz, no, let me, let me just ask Ted Cruz question. came let, after no. me. And no, he didn't. Well, he did through my wife. No, he, he didn't. took a picture. No, he didn't. Oh, and of course he did. Of course he did. Do you have any evidence that he knew about the attack by the independent super PAC? My evidence is total common sense. He knew those people. <laughs> those people were 100% for them. They coordinated together. I have no doubt about it in a million years. He did that attack, and this was just Even retaliation. Even if he did, was it worth you just spending uh, a no, week I on? would say I would say probably not. If I had it to do again, I probably wouldn't have sent it. I didn't think it was particularly bad, but I probably wouldn't have sent it. But this was a response. This wasn't me starting something. I mean, that's the most narcissistic thing that anyone could ever say. Yeah. Oh, what's your evidence for that? Oh, it's a thought that I had. <laughs> so my thoughts are the evidence. Yeah, it's really it's, it's him really holding his thoughts and what he thinks. In very high esteem. Right. The common sense that I have. It's as good as fact. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that's how I know things. Right. Well, he was also asked about if his comments about women, uh, whether or not he thought they were going to hurt him with the voters. He was in a diner in Milwaukee because the Wisconsin primary is on Tuesday, tomorrow for you. And so the audio is a little... Oh, what's the uh, what's the term? Shitty. But she asks. That's the question that the reporter asks, and his answer is, you know, very Trumpian. Do you think that anything that you said over the past week and a half, maybe the retweet hurts you with women voters? It might. That is his answer. Well, that's the first word of his answer. It might. The things that I've said over the course of my campaign about women may hurt me with women. They might hurt me with women. And then he goes on. And this is where it gets real Trumpian. Do you think that anything that you said over the past week and a half, maybe the retweet hurts you with women voters? It might. Um, but I'll tell you, uh, I've had, I've been doing very well with women voters because they feel that I'll do the best with the military. They feel that I'll do the best with security. They feel I'll do the best with, with the borders. Everybody feels I'll do the best. Hey, look, I just got the endorsement of the Border Patrol police. They've never endorsed anybody. The Border Patrol, these are incredible people. They endorse Trump. Um, you look at Sheriff Joe in Arizona, he endorsed Trump. It's a man. I have the endorsement. I have the endorsement of many of the great evangelicals, including Jerry Falwell Jr., who helped He's me a, a lot with you know, the evangelicals, because I'm winning the evangelical vote. I think I'm going to do great with one of them, yeah. Because they, they want great security, they want the military. I'm winning in all those, and I'll tell you where I'm really winning more than anybody by far is jobs and the economy. Okay? This is all that common sense evidence again. 
I love how the question was about women supporting him. Right. And he proceeds to name only men. The Border, <laughs> border Patrol. Yeah. Joe Arpaio. Mm-hmm. Didn't he say Joe Arpaio? Yeah. And uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. Yes. <laughs> so Gallup released a poll on April Fool's Day, but it wasn't an April Fool's Day joke. Right. It was real. I was hoping you were going to get to some actual facts, not things that just spill out of Donald Trump's stupid face. So seven in ten women have an unfavorable opinion. Seven in ten. For those of you who are math challenged like me, that's 70%. Yeah, and only 23% have a favorable opinion of him. Goddamn. 23%. But he thinks he's doing well with women. He's doing real, real well. And it has only been steadily declining his favorable rate. Right, yeah, for sure. It's been going down. It has not been going up. So... (laughs) So... Well, and this is based on 3,600 adults. So Very accurate. Mm -hmm. All right, well, last time on the show, we talked about his response about nuclear weapons and introducing nuclear weapons into countries like Korea and Japan and Saudi Arabia. And a reporter, in response to this, asked Obama what he thought. And this is President Obama's very erudite explanation and response to Donald Trump. Uh, This week, one of the Republican frontrunner to replace you said that perhaps North South Korea and and should have nuclear weapons and wouldn't rule out using nuclear weapons in Europe. Did that come up at this summit? And just generally, what message does it send when a major party candidate is articulating such a reversal in U.S. foreign policy? And also, who did you vote for in the Democratic primary? (laughs) Well, first of all, it's a secret ballot, isn't it? Okay. No, I'm not going to tell you now. Um, uh, what do the statements you mentioned tell us? Uh, it, they tell us that the person who made the statements doesn't know much about foreign policy or nuclear policy or the Korean Peninsula or the world generally. Um, it came up on the sidelines. I've said before that uh, you know people pay attention to American elections. What we do is really important to the rest of the world. Uh, and uh, even in those countries that are used to uh, a carnival atmosphere in their own politics, want sobriety and uh, clarity when it comes to U.S. elections because they understand the President of the United States needs to know what's going on around the world and uh, has to put in place the kinds of policies that uh, lead not only to our security and and prosperity, but uh, will have an impact on everybody else's security and prosperity. Um, Our alliance with Japan and the Republic of Korea is one of the foundations, one of the cornerstones of Uh, our presence in the Asia-Pacific region. It has underwritten the peace and prosperity of that region. Uh, It has 
been an enormous boon to uh, American commerce and uh, American influence, uh, and it has prevented the possibilities of uh, a nuclear escalation and conflict uh, between countries that in the past and throughout history have uh, in, been engaged in hugely destru uh, destructive uh, conflicts and controversies. Uh, so uh, you don't mess with that. Uh, it is an investment that rests on the sacrifices that our men and women made back in World War II. Uh, when they were fighting throughout the Pacific. Uh, it is because of their sacrifices and the wisdom uh, and, uh, that uh, American foreign policymakers showed uh, after World War II that we've been able to avoid catastrophe in those regions. And um, we don't want somebody in the Oval Office who doesn't recognize uh, how important that is. What else is there to say? V super, super well said. And I think what really struck me in th that entire comment was about the fact that we need a president in office who understands that what we do is of interest to the rest of the world. It's important to the rest of the global community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it, it could be said that a lot of what we do if done in the interest of the world, is in some small measure also done in the interest of us as a people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really, I loved this statement because he didn't specifically mention Donald Trump's name. That's right. Well, either did she. But all of it was directed <laughs> at Donald Trump. Absolutely. Because of the things he's been saying. And I, I think it's wise, sorry, but I think it's wise to not directly reference Donald Trump by name because it somehow elevates him mm -hmm. when the leader of the free world is acknowledging what a problem he is for the audience's reference I have been I have been directed to stop being so profane when speaking about Donald Trump the lovely and talented Brittany Page. <laughs> it's tremendously difficult for you. She, she she has had it. She is fed up. She has had. If you could see, I'm doing the had it up to here mm -hmm. symbol, and mm -hmm. it's mid forehead. Like Gwen Stefani, just a girl. All uh, right. I don't know that reference, but it, it, she is. Some people will know it. She is. She is fed up with me using profanity when describing. The Republican frontrunner. Well, you can use profanity, just not certain profanity, because <laughs> it's uh, a little much. Okay. Like, yeah. So, um, okay. <laughs> um, but uh, so I, what I love, getting back to moving on. That was right? a long interruption, by the way. <laughs> what a d hole. Um, so I love this Obama, which is he's been in office Me too. for eight years. He's less idealistic now than he was going in, like all presidents are, I think. I think they yeah, have these I grand so. ideas, and they don't really know what it's going to be like once they get in, and, and then they get in, and they realize. Right. Oh, yeah. And I think that's where he is now. And so hearing... Well, he's a seasoned veteran now. Right, so hearing a candidate... 
you know, who's never had political experience saying these things. It's just like a joke to him. Right. I mean, this person has, he yeah. can say, yeah. I've been president for eight years. This person has no idea what they're talking about. Right. You know? Well, and clearly that is the case with, with Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on. Uh, this next story is one that's going to serve two purposes. One is show-related, and the other is just really to talk about this this weird, insatiable desire of the media to create a story where there really isn't a story. You may or may not have heard that Huma Abedin, wife of Anthony Weiner, very close confidant and assistant and advisor to Hillary Clinton, you may have heard that she recently gave an interview where she said she was terrified or it was going it was a terrifying proposition something like that the that her personal emails her email communication with with secretary clinton was going to be released and she was very terrified by it well the media has run rampant with the story quoting that particular word terrified terrifying and look there's no love lost between hillary clinton and i well, she doesn't know who I am, so there's certainly none this way. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not a giant fan of Hillary Clinton. I think it's known. We do know that, yes. This isn't a story, though. It's not. Huma Abedin appeared on a podcast called Call Your Girlfriend, and this exchange was had. However, before we get there, the other purpose of playing this, I think it'll serve, it, it serves the show well because it, it, it explains exactly why we have such deep clips on this show. A lot of shows will play a 12 to 15 second soundbite, sometimes even shorter. And we don't do that. I like to give you the breadth and width and depth of a clip so you understand what is going on. I've heard and I found lots of audio that was just the, the tight little clip of her saying she was going to be terrified. But that doesn't give you the flavor of the conversation and what was taking place, that it was fun and friendly and what the, how her statement was prefaced by the question. Here it is. I know that we on our podcast read with with great interest, although probably with without the same political motivation as others, um, all of the email disclosures um, from the State Department days, in part because we're such fans of, of Hillary Clinton and of yours and of, you know, Barbara Mikulski. It's mm-hmm. sort of like this weird window into <laughs> like, you know, like uh, into the personal workings, I guess, of like professional women who we respect. You know, when I was thinking about talking to you, I was sort of like, God, you know, that must have just felt when I think about my work email being searchable, I just like it's like a full body panic, even if it's like, <laughs> no, I haven't said anything wrong. And so I'm, I'm curious about what that felt like to just know it was, it's out there in that it, way. Terrifying. Um, but with, uh, and I haven't, <laughs> I confess, I have not read anything that has become public, but I think the story that I was most, um, I found most interesting was a woman, and I, I don't remember any of the details, but a woman who said she didn't support Hillary until she read all of her emails. <laughs> she saw what a warm, caring, thoughtful, determined person she was. 
But um, I can't. It's something I can't really think about because I I can't even imagine what's in what's in those emails. But I'm sure I would be I would be I, I would probably be mortified. I have no idea. Well, <laughs> I haven't a, read any of them. There's a really <laughs> funny one actually that I, I think oh, no. we talked about it once on the on the podcast. Yeah. Amina, please correct me if I'm wrong. But um, it's about getting a fax machine set up. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh, that's definitely our. That's definitely our favorite. <laughs> okay, one. that one I heard about. I definitely heard about that because that made news. I heard about that one. Uh, yes. Do you come? <laughs> Go on. Sorry. I mean, we all we all sympathize in that moment. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's funny because it was it was a. It's hard to explain because it was a secure fax that was coming through, and I think what you read in the email. <laughs> Is a little bit of her frustration that it wasn't working, and my frustration that she couldn't figure it out or whatever it was. But it was the backstory here is that we very often it was very it wasn't unusual that when secure faxes were coming through that we had some challenges with them coming through. So I, <laughs> I don't know that I have much to add to that, except that now that I I I think back I and I didn't even I had not even remembered that it had happened. That's the funny thing. So much happens in your life that you don't often. You, you, don't often you just in that moment you were a hero to everyone who's ever had to help their boss like figure out any kind of technological problem. <laughs> so you don't it's, like don't I'm worry so about it. I'm so glad. I am so glad there were people that read that that read that email and understood what it's like to go through it. So this was a very casual conversation. Right. The, it almost sounds like friends around a table talking. And it would be nerve-wracking to have your email. Right. In the hands of everyone. Right. Well, under absolute scrutiny. And not just scrutiny like, oh, people are really going to be pouring through it and reading it. But the scrutiny in the heightened partisanship hatred that's fueled during an election year. When your boss is the candidate, everything would be scrutinized, just like her using the word terrifying was scrutinized here. Right. So, I, I look, my in final analysis, I would say that this is not a problem. Obviously, that's the case. I, I don't fucking care. Who cares that she said this? Any rational person would feel this way. She's not indicating that there's something there. She's not saying, oh, yeah, there's reason for problems because eh, I'm really scared about what they're going to find. She's just like, yeah, they're reading my personal shit. It's fucking kind of scary. Yeah. Not a story at all. Yeah. And I would say that this is probably, after this weekend, going to catch more. This is going to become more of a story if you haven't already heard it. And you heard it here first. So not, remember that. Not a not a story. All right. Well, this next let's stick with Hillary Clinton. This next story is you may have heard Hillary Clinton being addressed by a rope line activist from Greenpeace asking her about her campaign contributions where Hillary responds by yelling at the girl. It was loud. So part of her yelling is the fact that there's crazy music in the background. I don't know if it's like Chicago, a lot of horns. <laughs> the band, Chicago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, she yells at the girl that she's sick of it. I'm just sick of it. And part of this, I think, is because Hillary Clinton does have that unfortunate tone to her voice when she raises her voice. And the other part of it is her kind of being shitty to someone who challenged her with a question. 
If you haven't heard it, here it is. And obviously, this is audio, so you don't see it. But in the video, she is wagging her Hillary Clinton finger right directly in the face of the young girl who asked the question. She's not wagging her Bernie Sanders finger? No, it's a little stubby Hillary Clinton finger. Okay, so... little wrinkly, stubbly finger. (laughs) So this is really aggressive and mean. And I think that Hillary Clinton is embarrassed that this was on video. Oh, I'm sure she is. And has been making the rounds because she reacted very... uh, It's strange. It's strange the way that she reacted. I don't... Listen, again, and I don't want the audience to think I'm softening on Hillary Clinton. I think she's terrible in Uh many, many ways. But I don't think it's that big a deal. I just don't... (laughs) What was that? uh, uh, I can take it or leave it. (laughs) I just... I don't think it's that big a deal. That's... uh, She got got accosted. Uh, She did not... No, you're right. You're right. I'm I'm changing my words. All right. I'm trying to justify myself, and I'm using colorful language. I was ready to pounce. Yeah, you were. Um... She got questioned with with a question that she it's probably bothering her a lot. It's triggering for her. Yeah, she got triggered. You're using <laughs> all these sweet biased free language terms. Uh, that was really hard for you to say. Yeah, I know. And it took a lot out and, of you. And you know, it pissed her off and she got caught in a moment and you know, said something that she probably regrets, but it's not that big a deal. I think mm. the way she the way she acted with the finger wagging and getting a little close, that's a little aggressive physically, but eh, who cares? I, it's just not that big a deal to me. I don't know. Look. I, I don't like it. All right. I well, don't like it. You heard it here first, folks. I don't Brittany like it. Brittany and Jesse don't agree on everything. <laughs> that is... <laughs> For sure, the case. Reference that one review. Should, should I use that as a tr- as a trigger to talk about reviewing the show on iTunes? Um, I was hoping you would. Oh, but... there we go. If you have not yet reviewed the show on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn or wherever you get the show, go review us. Rate and review the show profanity-free or iTunes will not show your review. They won't count your review. Go do that. Be a friend. And if you're a new Patreon subscriber, especially, we we implore you to do so. I sound like Ted Cruz. They've already done <laughs> enough. Anyway, Hillary Clinton went on with Chuck Todd and was discussing this very issue because clearly this isn't going to go away until she deals with it. And he, this is the exchange. Let me move to the primary campaign. Let me play this clip that got a, a lot of airtime over the last few days. Here it is. Madam Secretary, I know you couldn't see the clip, but you probably heard it. You said you were caught saying, <laughs> I am so sick of the Sanders campaign lying about my record. What are they lying about? 
Well, let me first say that, you know, I'm, I'm used to criticism. I've been taking it for a very long time, but I care passionately about climate change. And I have been working to try to move us away from fossil fuels uh, mm -hmm. for many years. When I was in the Senate, I introduced legislation to take away the subsidies. I voted against Dick Cheney's energy bill in 2005, and I could go on and on. When I got to be Secretary of State, I uh, was at the original meeting in 2009 with President Obama where we were trying to convince China and India and others to come on board with uh, accepting some restrictions right. that would lead to what finally occurred with the Paris Agreement. Uh, so when uh, people make these kinds of uh, claims, which now I think have been debunked, mm -hmm. uh, actually the Washington Post said three Pinocchios, the New York Times also analyzed it and other independent analysts have said uh, that they are misrepresenting my record. Uh, I'm just not going to, I feel sorry sometimes for the young people who, you know, believe that this, do their own research, and uh, I'm glad that we now can point to uh, reliable independent analysis to say, no, it's just not true. Do you believe uh, that he's been lying about your other parts of your record or just this instance when you said that? Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go into, into that. I think that uh, we've tried to run a campaign on the issues. I'm yeah. going to keep talking about the issues. I was up in Syracuse uh, uh, yesterday talking about my new manufacturing plan, bring manufacturing back to America. Let's make it in America. Uh, that's what I think the American people are interested in hearing. And uh, I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing in this campaign, which is to, you know, draw the contrast, but stay on the issues. Well so there it is. That's her response. Well, Bernie Sanders was on with JTAP on State of the Union. JTAP. On CNN. And he was asked about this very thing. And so you're getting her take on it. And here you are getting his take immediately. And you didn't have to watch Meet the Press or State of the Union. I'm sure the cable companies and the television networks are real happy about that. Joining me now is Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. You've gotten into a back and forth with Secretary Clinton about money from the fossil fuel industry. Hillary Clinton says she is sick of your campaign lying about her. You demanded an apology. Her campaign is now calling you desperate and says that you have clearly decided your only <laughs> path to victory is through misleading attacks. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Well, according to a Greenpeace analysis of campaign finance reports, uh, the Clinton campaign, in the broader sense, including their super PAC, uh, have received $4.5 million from fossil fuel interests, uh, 43 paid lobbyists of the fossil fuel industry have made maximum contributions, the maximum contributions they could to the Clinton campaign. No, we were not lying. We were telling the truth. Yeah. And the point here is that climate change is one of the great crises facing this country. Yeah. We've got to stand up to the fossil fuel industry, transform our energy system, not take money from paid lobbyists from that industry. Now, the fact checker at the Washington Post took a look at the exact claims you made just now, and they wrote, quote, the Sanders campaign is exaggerating the contributions that Clinton has received from the oil and gas industry in the context of her overall campaign. The contributions are hardly significant. It's especially misleading to count all the funds raised by lobbyists with multiple clients as money given by the fossil fuel industry. And they gave you three Pinocchios, sir. Well, 
let the voters decide whether paid lobbyists who represent the fossil fuel industry, 43 of them, give maximum personal contributions to uh, the Clinton campaign and whether or not these same people are out in some cases bundling, trying to bring in even more money. I don't think that we are distorting reality. That's the simple reality. But you've taken $50,000 from individuals who work for the oil and gas industry. Why is it okay for you right. and not for her? Because I take money in and she takes money in from individuals. That's right, workers in an industry. Nothing wrong with that. Jake, that is very different from taking money from lobbyists, people who are working day and night in defense of that industry. And that has been a confusing point. Workers, yes. We get money from workers in every industry in the country. So does Clinton. But there is a difference between getting money from a worker and somebody whose job it is is to represent that industry. I believe we've got to take on the fossil fuel industry. I think that their greed and their willingness to acknowledge the crisis of climate change is something that has to be dealt with, and I am prepared to do that if elected president. So there you have it. Both candidates, their responses, their reactions to this, and I guess I'll leave it up to the voters, to the voters. I guess I'll leave it up to the listeners to decide. Jesus, what am I, running for office over here? Sounds like it. (laughs) I'll leave it up to the listeners to decide, but listen, I would... uh, I think there is something to be said about the differences between uh, individual workers like, you know, Joe, Joe Schmo, the oil guy who's voting for Bernie and um, donating to Bernie mm-hmm. and Joe Schmo, the, the guy who works for a lobbyist who it's in his best interest to steer money toward the correct candidate. Right, right. There is something to be said there. So the conversation went on with Jake Tapper and they began talking about this conflict or this uh, I hesitate to use the word controversy but some some concern has been raised about Bernie Sanders not releasing his tax returns Hillary Clinton has released hers and he's been asked to release several years of his and he hasn't done it yet and you know in the absence of the returns people are just left to question and postulate what could be the reason here it is Let's talk about uh, taxes, specifically about your tax returns. I have to say, I'm kind of surprised that you haven't gone further on transparency. You released the summary page of your 2014 tax returns. Hillary Clinton has posted on her website the last eight years of her personal returns, all other returns. Before the New York primary, will you match her? Will you post your full returns for the last eight years? You know, we are not, you know, to be very honest with you, you know who does our tax returns? My wife does our tax returns. We've been a little bit busy lately. So we will get out as much information as we can. There ain't going to be very much exciting in that. I get a salary from the United States Senate. Uh, you know, there's not going to be anything new in it that there hasn't, people haven't seen for the last many years. But we will get it out as soon as we can. But nobody, nobody has seen them at all, I guess, is the point, and uh, whether or not there's anything exciting in no, them. No, that's not true. That is... That is not true. Of course, we have, you know, released them in the past. Our financial situation, to the best of my knowledge, has not changed very much. But we will get out all of that information as soon as we can. So this is this is very Donald Trump-esque. Yeah, there's 
there there are he's there's wiggle words that he's using not very general vague language distancing language yes absolutely to the best of my knowledge so then if something is different or something needs to be explained he can go back and say well to the best of my knowledge i didn't know that this is the case my wife files the tax returns our financial situation to the best of my knowledge has not changed well shouldn't you know if you're making a bunch more money or not making a bunch more money well and the thing is the reason i say this is donald trump-esque is donald trump was also asked listen everyone else has released their tax returns right why haven't you released your tax returns and he would say things like this well there's nothing in it anyway right there's nothing in there right and he he would use the same language but i've seen people defending bernie on this issue who probably went after Trump two months ago when he said the same thing. That's but, certainly but everyone, not going to happen. That's not going to happen here. Everyone should be held to the same standard. Absolutely. Right? I threw a fit, and I'm throwing a fit now, that the media hasn't held Donald Trump, his feet to the fire related to releasing his tax returns, and his seemingly bullshit claims that he's being audited for 15 years or something. Well, I'm going to do the same for Bernie Sanders. Release your tax returns. What are you doing? If there's nothing to hide, then release them. If it takes your wife not following you on the campaign trail for a couple days to have her gather the documents, then goddamn do it. Well, and the thing is, this gives me an opportunity to talk about something that's been bothering me, which is the people that are (laughs) Hillary supporters are for Hillary no matter what she does and hate on Bernie no matter what he does. The people that are for Bernie love Bernie no matter what he does and hate Hillary no matter what she does. And the same goes for Trump. Every single thing must be justified. It's just, that's not the way it should be. Well, this polarization is freaking me out. And I mean, it's not rational to, to just endlessly defend your candidate no matter what they do. These are humans. Right. Well, there is no... And they're not perfect. There is no perfect candidate And either. that's okay. Right. It's okay for them not to be perfect. And admitting that they're not perfect doesn't mean they're bad. You don't have to align ideologically and politically with every single position of your candidate. You could say, well, yeah, I don't agree with that, but there's so many other things that I do agree with that I could, you know, that's that doesn't have to rise to the level of a deal breaker. Right. It doesn't doesn't uh, wash out as a litmus test for me. Right. It's okay to say, yeah, you know, it is kind of bumming me out that Bernie Sanders isn't releasing his tax returns. He should and do that. still be a Bernie Sanders supporter. Right. It's okay to say, yeah, you know, Hillary Clinton, she really isn't that honest of a person and still be a Hillary Clinton supporter. Yeah, well, I don't think she's very honest, but I think she'll be a good president. Right. Yeah. You can have she that position. She does have an integrity problem. <laughs> yeah, I, that is a that is a reasonable right. position to take. Not uh, Hillary Clinton is the second coming of Christ, and she's going to save us from everything that's bad. Right. Well, let's be honest; it would be the first coming because that guy died two thousand years ago. So if he came back, it would be the first, the first time. Well, I was not trying to get all technical about this. So, <laughs> well, then you're unqualified. Easter just happened. Then I'm... you're unqualified to be president. I'm sorry; you have to be very technical. <laughs> we know. <laughs> Oh, we know. <laughs> All right. Well, to wrap this Dolomocracy segment, in the same interview with Jay Tap, Jake Tapper, State of the Union, <laughs> CNN, 
Uh, Bernie was asked about the debate schedule and the negotiations that are taking place right now between he and the Clinton campaign to try to get a debate in before the New York primary. Because when the New Hampshire primary was happening, Hillary Clinton wanted another debate very badly. She needed a debate to try to change the tide because Bernie Sanders was overwhelmingly going to win the state, and he did. So they arranged, the Bernie Sanders campaign agreed, okay, we'll do a debate before New Hampshire if you'll schedule three more debates one in April, one in May, one in June, I think, was the schedule. Maybe it's March, April, May. Well, now the Clinton campaign's like, oh, yeah, well, we don't need that now, so we're not going to follow with the agreement. Again, bullshit dishonesty from the Clinton campaign. Well, here is the exchange between JTAP and Bernie. You and Hillary Clinton have been trading fire over the timing of a potential debate. You said it was ludicrous for her to propose debating tomorrow night, which, of course, is the, is the final night of the NCAA finals, Nova versus Chapel Hill. Hillary Clinton said this morning she's up for debating on Thursday, April 14th. Are you in? Uh, I, I, I'm not quite sure what, how that works on our schedule. We may have a major rally being scheduled. Uh, we have been talking, I think, to NBC and to CNN, and we're working on a number of dates. First, I'm very glad that the secretary has accepted the challenge to debate in New York. I think we can work out a date that works for her schedule, that works for my schedule. Doing it during the NCAA finals or whatever makes no sense. Doing it in the morning when people are gonna, not going to be watching it in large numbers makes no sense. But I'm confident we work, we'll work out a time that's good for both of our schedules uh, and when large numbers of people uh, will be uh, watching. Do you think she proposed uh, tomorrow night because it was competing with the NCAA finals that, that she was trying to avoid a lot of viewers? Well, well I think... You know, who knows? But, you know, if you look at some of those Democratic <laughs> debates that we've had in the past, many uh, observers have noted that they are often scheduled on days when the voter turnout, the uh, viewer turnout would not be uh, particularly high. So I would hope that she would agree with me. Let's do it in a mutually convenient time. She has a rough schedule. I have a rough schedule. Let's get it on a network where people are going to be watching it at a time when people are going to be watching it. I think we can work that out. I'm into that. Hopefully on here on CNN. Senator Bernie Sanders, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. So like he said, the Democratic debates have been scheduled at very inconvenient times. Yeah, for sure. Saturdays, Sundays, early in the morning on Sundays. <laughs> Very inconvenient times where people are not going to be watching them. And Illogical so, times. Right. And now she's offering, apparently, debates that aren't aren't going to have viewers again. Right. So he's saying no, because I want dates where people are going to be watching, not on Sunday morning when people are at church, not <laughs> during March Madness or whatever when right. a basketball game is on. The, the championship game. I mean, they, they wanted to schedule this. Look. This is a theory. There's no proof of this, but I believe there is collusion between Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the chairman of the Democratic National Committee, and the Clinton campaign. And they are trying to schedule these debates. Why else would they schedule these debates with far less exposure? Where, obviously, the Republicans, they want these debates out there. They schedule them on Wednesday nights, on Thursday nights, on Tuesday nights, in prime time. Mm-hmm. Not off weird times. Right. 
So uh, we'll see. We've yet to see. A debate has not been scheduled yet. They have not agreed, but it looks like they are moving toward that. And, you know, Bernie is behind in New York, and he needs some exposure. He is from New York. He was born in Brooklyn or the Bronx. I mean, he's he's a New Yorker, obviously. You listen to him for five seconds. <laughs> you know he's a New Yorker. So he's needing the debate for extra exposure. Hopefully they do come to an agreement. All right. Let's wrap it up with some Taking Care of Biz. Taking Care of Biz. This is a woman-heavy taking care of biz. I don't mind that. Because I'm in one of those moods today. (laughs) Right? All that time not finishing your thesis has put you in a mood, you're saying. Uh, I guess. (laughs) So, Batman versus Superman was a popular movie. It was a turd, but it was a popular movie. Uh Uh-huh. And, well, it had horrible reviews, but aside from that, there was a lot of criticism surrounding the choice for Wonder uh, Woman. Unbelievable. And the actress that plays Wonder Woman is Gal... Gal Gadot, I think her name is. I, I think it's Gadot. Gadot? When really? I When I heard it pronounced like that, I thought, that can't be right. But I think that that's how it's pronounced. Well, that sounds dumb. We're going to say Gal Gadot okay. on this program. Whatever it is, <laughs> she's very beautiful and is a great Wonder Woman. But She is a great Wonder Woman. But when she was cast, all these nerds what came forward. and on. What is it with nerds and being so anti-woman, like with Gamergate and all these threats to Alana Pierce that we've had on the show? Rape threats because she doesn't review a game the way that they think that she should. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the deal there? Mm-hmm. Is it because they're... They're not getting any, and so they feel victimized by women's choices to not be into them? Well, I have no idea. So, the comic book community did not like the choice (laughs) for Wonder Woman because her boobs weren't big enough is effectively what the reason was. Come on. Yeah. So, she, Wonder Woman went on Conan... Conan O'Brien and she talked about this this controversy and it was kind of an awkward exchange between her and Conan because he didn't know how to say yeah there was controversy well because people thought you don't have big enough boobs I mean that's what this comes down to and she had a really good attitude about it you know she said that um there were some people who had a lot to say about my hearts is what she called them. Right. right. She said, at the end of the day, you can't please them all. And I completely understand that. And if you want to be original to the story, the Amazons used to have only one breast because it was in the way of the bow and arrow. And she said that she uh, had many creative conversations with the film's director and they decided to keep them both, both of her (laughs) boobs. But I thought this was great. And this is a good message for, young girls who are going to hear about this quote unquote controversy right and about how wonder woman is supposed to have big boobs when wonder woman is a warrior right a badass and her breast size should have nothing to do with the character well and also she was an animated a drawing in a comic book where they can draw 
giant tits on a little cartoon character, but you're casting a real human being. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Sure, of course. That That's not central to the role. So, I don't know. It just, it's really annoying. And, and, and she was a great Wonder Woman. She's great. And I'm glad that she's taking a stand saying, you know, you can't please everybody. Because I, I think it's a great time that young girls are growing up in where they have these powerful female characters to look to. It really is. And, you know, here she is being criticized for something so superficial. And she's fighting back against that saying, yeah, I know people say that, but, you know, you can't please everybody. It doesn't matter. So right. I'm going to move forward. Well, think about that, though. It really is a great time for for little girls who are growing up right now to see leading dominant powerful roles of women and women running for president who are who are leaders it's not like it used to be where a woman running for president was this crazy aberration and oh uh, well oh there may be vice president but uh, no way president i mean it's a great time right now for equality it really is the kids who are growing up I mean, having a black president, they don't, people who were, people who weren't into politics, or let's say people who were born in 2000 and come of age right around the time Obama takes office, they've only known the United States to have a black president. It's mm-hmm. completely normal. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Not just for, for, for that, but also obviously for women. Women are always a little bit behind the curve as far as their equality is concerned. Mm-hmm. And it's happening. We, we are witness to it now. And it is a beautiful, awesome thing. I always tell my best friend who has a daughter now who's getting ready to turn one this summer that it's such a beautiful time for her daughter to grow up. Yeah, And I know it sounds so futile I guess to talk about media but media is so pervasive as an influence in people's lives and when you have people like Ray from Star Wars who's this powerful yeah, female that's another one yeah. yeah or you know Wonder Woman or these powerful figures to look at in movies and think wow these are strong powerful like women games all this stuff. right that I could be like and it's only gonna improve from here right it like you said it does sound trivial but it's it's important it shapes kind of the the zeitgeist of of our perceptions and how things are considered by by everybody. It's awesome. And so on that note, the second person that's taking care of Biz is Erin Heatherton. Who, who who is that? She is a former model at Victoria's Secret, and she recently opened up on her Instagram about her struggles with body image and eating. Hmm. While she was working at Victoria's Secret. So she said that at her last two Victoria's Secret shows, she was told she had to lose weight. <laughs> are you are you kidding? Obviously, you're not kidding. No. But goddamn. Yeah. She's she's a Victoria's Secret model. They're not... Uh, they don't need to lose weight. Yeah, they're very <laughs> small. Yeah. In fact, they are like of the smallest. They're not runway models who are unhealthily thin, thin and skinny. They are, but they're little tiny people. She's this very beautiful, tall, thin woman. And she says she looks back at that time and thinks, really? 
you were telling me to lose weight. Yeah, that's outrageous. And she talks about how she was exercising twice a day, trying to eat right, and that her body just wouldn't do it while she was trying to prepare for her last Victoria's Secret show in 2013. She says, quote, I was really depressed because I was working so hard and I felt like my body was resisting me. And I got to a point where one night I got home from a workout and I remember staring at my food and thinking maybe I should just not eat so it got to the point where she was thinking maybe i should just starve myself maybe i should stop eating it's sickening and so this is great i think that she came forward and, and she she said this because i think a lot of women watch the victoria's secret fashion show sure and they compare themselves it's a to those women time event now i've never watched it in my life but yeah i guess <laughs> well i've never watched it either but I have the knowledge that it's yeah. a prime time event. Yes, I guess. <laughs> I guess it's just in your own perception of things. I don't consider it that because I've never seen it. It's 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 very heavily advertised. It's a weird thing. Okay, well, it's like people saying The Bachelor's so cool and I just don't even register Yeah, that well, is... you know that it's a big deal even though it's stupid. I try to tell myself it's not. Okay. <laughs> So Aaron Heatherton wrote, quote, I realized I couldn't go out into the world parading my body and myself in front of all these women who look up to me and tell them that it is easy and simple and that everyone can do this. And I thought that was such a great message because a lot of women compare themselves to the Victoria's Secret models in the fashion show. Which is dumb, but okay. And even the models are really struggling to get their bodies to that point. Right, because it's unrealistic. So you're, you know, you're not being able to eat any of the good stuff like the cookies and the cupcakes or and the, the treats. Or the roast chicken with delicious butter slathered. Or the lobster rolls, right. mashed potatoes, like all this good stuff that is happiness. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's a bummer. So I'm, I'm happy that Erin Heatherton came forward, another woman. Taking care of biz. Being open with her struggles. And that's always good for women as a whole. All right. Well, with that, we are going to leave you. We appreciate your support and your listenership. If you'd like to support the show other than listening twice a week, you can do so by going to dollamore.com. And on the left-hand side of the page, there's a link there. The link is support the show. Who knew? (laughs) At that link, you will find different ways. Patreon, PayPal, uh, Amazon.com. Every little bit goes a long way. We appreciate you guys so much. You mean the world to us, helping us move the conversation forward episode by episode. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. Alexander and Victoria. 